Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Alike Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, yeah. how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTRadio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. And we welcome you to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish. Sports Radio 960 WSBT on this Wednesday, November the 15th of 2023. We are live on 960 AM, WSBTRadio.com, the WSBT Radio app, and on the Twitch app, the two-camera shot featuring Darren and Eric is ready to roll on this Wednesday. We thank you for joining us, and no, we will not provide any type of antidote for the headache you have involving Notre Dame football and talking with your friends about the Irish offense. We'll talk more about the offense, Jared Parker's comments last night. We'll just have a grand old time, Eric. You just got done with a chat featuring Notre Dame football fans. It felt a little bit more like a sparring match. A little bit because... Okay. Yeah. Because people want to vent and ask questions, and then if they don't agree with you, then they want to debate you, and it's not... Uh, Notre Dame football live debate. It's Notre Dame football live chat. And we could debate in a different form. There hasn't been a game recently. That might have a lot to do with it. (laughs) (laughs) And nobody had a decent cheeseburger over the weekend. No, no, apparently not. I I understand why people are frustrated um, and have questions. And yet some of the suggestions just don't make a lot of sense to me and We'll just go on. They they know how I feel about it. Well, Eric and I just had a brief conversation before we started the show. And, and I, I think it's worth just talking about for a second here on the air. And you made the comment 
based on the responses that you get at InsideIndieSports.com. By the way, that's Eric Hansen. I'm Darren Pritchett. Hello. And, hello. Hello. And you made the comment that the way people are reacting a lot of times, not everybody, but there's a good number that are making seven and three feel like they're three and seven. Correct. The response. And what I said back to Eric was, and I've kind of had this theme for a couple of weeks, I, I think the problem is right now when the fans either tune into the press conferences or read your articles of what Marcus and Jared and, and people had to say, fans are sensing there are coaching issues. And when it's more than just player execution, that's when people get awfully concerned because you expect coaches to do their jobs and not be one of the reasons why a team is floundering. And it's not the only reason, but Eric, right now, the fans sense there are some issues right now that are not being solved, and I think that leads to the extra frustration. If this was, this was just the team not playing well, Eric, I don't think the response would be the same. I agree with you, and I, I think the one thing that's difficult is not everything can be fixed in the timetable that people want it to be fixed. For example, I think probably the clearest question and you know it'd be easy for me to kind of give them a word salad but I think I that's not what my job is my job is to to have strong opinions if I have them and and I do and somebody asked um on I think football never sleeps on Monday it might have been on our podcast but they asked is Jared Parker's inexperience as an offensive coordinator, the biggest thing separating this team from being seven and three to being a playoff contender. And the answer is yes. Now, does that mean he couldn't be better in 2024? No. Does that mean he should automatically be fired? No. But in direct answer to that question, I've got to be honest, that's how I see it. I think if you had, if you, and we mentioned this on the show last week, if you picked the best offensive coordinator in college football and we thought Grubbs of Washington might be that guy. Good place to start. What would Notre Dame's record be? And I think you could make a case for being undefeated. And so that's why getting it right in 2024 is correctly. Now, could Jared Parker, could Marcus Freeman say, well, I'm, I think there will be growth from year one to year two. He could make that case. I don't think it's a convincing case, but no I think chance. you could make, you know, when he does his evaluation, that's, that's a scenario that he's got to run through his decision-making process. Now, does that mean everything's Jared Parker's fault in every situation? No, but I think you know, when people criticize Sam Hartman and want to plug Steve Angeli in there, I think a big reason why they feel that way is because Jared Parker hasn't provided an offense for Sam Hartman to excel. Thank you. Because uh, I'm tired of the people raining on Sam. Absolutely unfair. Well, and one thing, if if you don't mind, because I don't want to run into our guest time and I don't want to No, mess. go ahead. We've, so, got, we've got 15 minutes to play with right now. Okay. So this is from my chat transcript, and and they wondered, you know, how Sam Hartman felt about playing for an inexperienced <laughs> offensive coordinator. 
And I asked him about how he felt when Tommy Reese left, and he answered it very candidly, and I used it in a story I did over the summer, and I'm just um, getting to that point. So what he said was uh, – and, and having a quarterback's coach that was learning the offense when he was, you know. So he said, I think I just leaned into the team, leaned into Coach Free, and trusted that they were going to figure it out. Mm. Really, the team, like the locker room, just kind of kept everything rolling. Obviously, there were some gut punches along the way, but that's life. And I've enjoyed being here. I think the team just really, it's, it's just the guys. Like, we always joked in the locker room about different things, and it kind of kept it light. Hmm. Obviously, it was pretty whatever, a thin ice situation, but we stayed afloat. That wow. was the summer before any of this unrolled. So he took a leap of faith, mm. and he has maintained that leap of faith through the ups and downs. And that's where I give Sam Hartman credit because he could have gotten to the end of spring, and he could have been the one that – that pulled the trap door and left and left this to be Tyler Buckner's team. And maybe some people would like that, but he didn't. Hmm. With that being said, let's just bring up what was said last night in the coordinators press conference. I'll set this up by saying, if you listen to my program, if you read Eric's articles at insideindiesports.com, it's been brought up many, many times how interesting it was that Notre Dame had 173 passing yards in play action against Pittsburgh, but only tried it twice in 36 dropbacks against Clemson in particular after they started running the ball, you know, pretty well early on in the ball game. But they ended up running at what 13 of the first 15 first downs became extremely predictable. The second half, they became extremely predictable by basically throwing it on every down despite it being a one-possession game. So it was asked of Marcus Freeman, I'm sorry, Jared Parker last night. Was it Pete Sampson asked the question? Do you know? I know you're not with Parker during those press conferences, but I think it was. I, I think it was Pete, but I'm not sure. Because he's referenced. I, right. He's referenced, so I think that's why he probably named Pete. I was, as per usual, talking to Al Golden yeah. simultaneously, so I didn't read the transcript until afterwards. I'm going to assume it's Pete that asked the question, Pete Sampson from The Athletic, and the question was in regard to the lack of play action against Clemson. This is what your offensive coordinator had to say. And I don't have the audio because it's in a different media session than radio, TV, and, and Internet. So there we go. My headphone jack came out. I want to be able to hear you, Eric. You're going to say brilliant things. Okay, so this is what Parker said, quote, there's some realities to it, I swear. If you all would have looked at it in a man game, because I did, I try to keep up with Notre Dame football communications director Katie Lonegren and make sure of what you guys, quote unquote, write, because I respect your all jobs, piece of it, and questions. You lose play. He's just starting and stopping here, so I'm trying to go with him. Right. You lose play actions when it becomes pieces of a man game, and that's what that game was. So there's no eye conflict. If I'm guarding Pete Sampson, I'm guarding Pete. 
So what's happening in action throws? Pete says they don't care. Then Jared says, exactly. So we lost that sum, end quote. So Jared is trying to tell us that against man coverage, that using play action is not something that, I hate to put words in his mouth, but Eric, the best I can say is that he's saying against man, he didn't want to use play action because he didn't think it was going to work against man coverage. When play action, Eric, oftentimes freezes those linebackers or sucks them up to the line of scrimmage, and then you can throw over the top of them. There's that big, massive space in the middle of the field, or you may do something in play action that gets the safeties off what you're trying to do. You're getting people off balance on defense. It's not all just about the corners. So, I mean, Eric, where do we go from here based on what he had to say there? I mean, didn't he basically say you can't run play action against man in a matter of words? How do you handle this? Take it, take it whatever direction you want to go. Well, okay, so whatever he said here, you still have to answer the questions, and, and that is do you want to pull a Penn State and – have a different offensive coordinator for the rest of the season? Or do you want to wait until you get through the next two games and then make that evaluation? Or do you want to get through the bowl game and make that evaluation? Are you asking me, or is that just what you're thinking that Marcus is thinking? That's what I think Marcus oh, is okay. thinking, but then let me let me pose that to you yeah. and then I'll weigh in on wh- why I think where the timing of the evaluation is most important. Eric, I said last Wednesday after the Clemson game, I was in favor of changing the play caller the last two games to see what you have on staff. So I'm not changing. That, I felt like, validated my thoughts. If you are making it to that end, mm-hmm. if you think either Gino Gadouli or Joe Rudolph is a potential offensive coordinator next year, then that makes sense. If you're just doing it to demote Jared Parker, I don't think it makes sense. If you have no no okay. um, iota that either of those guys are going to be in the running for your offensive coordinator. Like when Brian Kelly did the bowl game with Tommy Reese, it made some sense there because he was thinking along sure. the lines that Tommy Reese would be the next one. Where I think it's important is it needs to be done – after the Stanford game. Because if you're shopping for an elite portal quarterback, if you want a Michael Pratt or somebody like that, they're going to say, what's the offense I'm playing in? Who's the offensive coordinator and offensive play caller going to be? Why should I pick you over these other schools? You better have a good answer. Damn right. So, So it either needs to be a new and improved Jared Parker or it needs to be um, here's wh- who we're looking at, or here's who we have lined up to come in. That needs to be your answer. Because if it's what happened in the Clemson game, you know, that that's all the other teams competing for, Michael Pratt or Riley Leonard or whoever, the Cam Rising, whoever the names that you want to throw out there. That's the schools. You're not going to be the only one competing for them. And so, and NIL money is everywhere, so you have better have a good answer because the reason that player would transfer is to enhance his NFL stature. Yeah. It wouldn't be 
well, gosh, Tulane, <laughs> they've only been winning like 10, 11, 12 games a year. You know, they beat the snot out of USC last year in a bowl game. Uh, but I'll transfer to Notre Dame where, you know, they are struggling on offense in the second half of the season. I know this is probably an impossible question to ask. And even if you – It's ans- not impossible to ask. It may be impossible to answer. Well, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. Excuse <laughs> me. I, I, I'm just numb to what I read last night. But you said, well, maybe Jared Parker takes a massive step forward. How does that happen? How do we guarantee or should expect that's going to happen? And, Eric, you know, and you've said it to me a million times working with me, and you said it recently, the third year of a Notre Dame head football coach defines who they are going to become. And Lou Holtz won a national championship. Others failed in their third year. So, I mean, this is a massive decision for Coach Freeman or someone above him has to make the decision. Okay, let me give you a scenario where just by pure numbers, it it can work out that way. So Marcus Freeman comes to Cincinnati from Purdue, and their first year at Cincinnati, they didn't have a very good defense. Now, they hadn't been a very good defense the year before, so they did not improve greatly. But in the second year, it was lights out improvement. And so it's possible, but there were signs that you would see if you're uh, Luke Fickle that you say, well, this guy's a great recruiter. He's learning from his mistakes. Uh, We didn't have much material to work with. He's improved our recruiting. Uh, I see the guys better at the end of the year than they were at the beginning of the year. So you're seeing a different trend line. This year, Notre Dame starts out with historic offensive numbers against admittedly not the best competition on their schedule, and then it it goes the other way, and you have, um, you know, less competitive. So what is there to hold on to? That's kind of the question that Marcus – I'd love to ask Marcus if I knew I was going to get the honest answer. What is there – and I'll still ask it at some point – what is there that you see in Jared Parker that leads you to believe that improvement is imminent? What are the things that you're seeing? Now, what he's saying in press conference right now is it's not the plays, it's this. It's not the plays, it's this. He's, I think, protecting Jared Parker. Um, I don't know that he necessarily thinks that. I think there's elements of it not being a word salad. but Really? That's, I, I I think he is trying to clue you in on there are other factors involved. But I do think, Darren, the fix is an elite offensive coordinator. You can fix a lot of problems with somebody that has answers. Right? Yeah. So, I, I mean, the, we had Bob Morton on our podcast this week. Bob Morton played for... Tyrone Willingham and Charlie Weiss. And, you know, I asked him, I said, um, you know, when you guys were going through the offensive, because Charlie Weiss's offense, the two years Bob Morton was on the team were prolific. The three years he was on Tyrone's team, they weren't very good offensively. They were good defensively, 
or at least decent defensively those years. They were outrageously good in 2002. But I said, as a player, you know, do you know whose house to put the for sale sign on <laughs> and stuff like that? And, you know, do you know what's going on and, and what happens when things aren't getting fixed? What, what happens? And his answers were fascinating. I, I think, you know, I suggest people click on our website and listen to it. It's free. So you can listen to it after you hear the amazing Carter Carls today and, and the rest of this show. But well, Eric, as someone who knows defense extremely well, Marcus Freeman would have to understand that if he heard Parker's comments last night about not using play action against man, wouldn't he be like, wait, what? Well, again, it can be him. Does he really believe that, or did he fumble in a press conference and not give a good answer? I mean, the one thing that where it leads me to believe this is going to be a struggle for Jared to be much improved in 2024, one of the factors is how his antenna's up too high. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's more than I've ever seen around here. Right. Especially with what he's going through, it needs to be down. Way down. And just the – you can tell the spotlight is bothering him. Not that it's easy. Believe me, I mean, Darren, when the whole Manti Teo thing happened, I was in the middle of that. Yes, you were. I was singled out with two other journalists, both of whom, you know, we all came out the the good end of that, but we all had to deal with that adversity. And what I did was – I'm going to get to the truth of this and I'm going to keep doing my job, but I still have to handle all the negative stuff that's coming my way. And every journalism student wanting me to be their term paper, you know, topic and stuff. I mean, it went on finally after a couple of years, I said, okay, I've done enough of these. And, And again, a lot of it, they had no idea what everything that happened, but by focusing on my job, I was able to get a lot of truth, and that helped. And then, then we see years later, the final piece of the truth coming out, and it was pretty interesting. I'll just circle back to how we started this conversation. When you have one coach kind of comparing, not comparing, but talking about play calling to playing Madden, and then you've got an offensive coordinator who makes the comment about play action against man, that's when the fans – get concerned when they hear these type of things that's when they begin to panic when it's not just player execution that's when fans I think sometimes become too fanatical Eric and that's where we are right now as they're being there's just been kerosene just thrown on the fire right now by things that have been said you know and then we'll go to break after you say this okay the thing is you could say well then don't have the coordinator speak I think it's it's very good for them to have that experience and they're either going to grow from it or they're going to sure. shrink from it. Um, I think when we had Mike Denbrock on during the 2016 season, An awful season, it, it was a great experience yeah. for him. It was and good for us. And he gave us direct answers, right? There were no word salads. Absolutely. Not one, two broils award candidates who are former Irish offensive coordinators. Mr. Denbrock and Mr. Reese. 
And Brian Harden's out there somewhere yes. as a defensive coordinator. Brian Harden has a better chance than Jared Parker. 5.30 on your home of the hours. We're going to talk to an old friend, Carter Carls, who used to work for the South Bend Tribune. Now he's in the middle of a firestorm down in College Station as Texas A&M fired Jimbo Fisher. We'll see if Jimbo's offering him maybe a little cash on the side for a wedding gift. I mean, he's got enough probably that's going to be flowing in very, very soon. We'll get to, to Carter's very own Papa John's franchise. <laughs> We're back with more in a moment on WSBT. Stabby Wepler. Ah, oh, Abby, thank you so much. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on your home of the Fighting Irish, including Saturday's game against Wake Forest, which kicks off at 3:30. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. He's Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. My name is Darren Pritchett. Back in the day when Carter Carls worked for the South Bend Tribune, he was our recruiting update guy on the program, and this was the music that we used to bring him into the program. Now Carter is deep in the heart of Texas. College Station covering... <laughs> and this music couldn't be more appropriate. <laughs> for so many reasons right now around these parts. But he now covers Texas A&M for 24-7 sports. Carter Carls joins us here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Carter, are you tearing up hearing this music right now? I sure am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. How are you, my friend? Good to hear your voice. Oh, it's great. It's great. I've been, I feel like I've been talking for three or four years now about uh, all of us having a little reunion at A&M Notre Dame next, uh, next August. I think it's an August game. So I'm yes. excited for that. And uh, thank you guys for having me. It's great to great always to talk to you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, Notre Dame is at Texas A&M, the first game of next year. I think there's a lot of wondering who's going to be the coordinators and the head coach for both sides going into that particular football game. But Carter, Jimbo Fisher was let go, and we all know about the massive buyout that Texas A&M is swallowing to get rid of this guy who was 6-4 and four this year, 4-3 and three in the Southeastern Conference. They outscored their opponents 342-204, to 204, so that's kind of impressive. So why do you think now was the right time for Texas A&M to go a different direction with the program? Yeah, they were, as the athletics director for A&M Ross Bjork said they were stuck in neutral where they he 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 the way he worded it was they were going down the highway in the left lane going 55 miles an hour and watching all these other cars pass them uh Jimbo Fisher just did not adapt you watch his offense week to week it's very archaic looking you've got slow developing you know uh routes and runs behind a a offensive line that has really struggled. You, you've seen over the years his track record since Jameis Winston been very bad at evaluating and developing quarterbacks. Uh, offensive line has almost always been an issue under him besides that 2020 year. Um, and other problems too, disciplinary stuff. You saw what, what happened with the 2022 class uh, last year. Um, lots of suspensions, lots of, you know, arrests and, and guys going to the transfer portal. And uh, special teams was an issue, too. They uh, didn't never had a special teams coordinator under Jimbo Fisher, and this year it was very apparent. They had a lot of miscues 
on special teams that, that cost them games. But, you know, overall, there's just some really concerning trends. They had a nine-game losing streak on the road. They had, uh, I think, six, five or six straight losses to the Mississippi schools until they won last weekend. Um, six and 12 against their last 18 Power 5 uh, opponents until last weekend. So, like, every trend was just going down. And, you know, the first three years under him, I think there was a lot of optimism. But ever since kind of toward the end of that 2021 season, it's been only downhill. Well, I think uh, Mr. Bjork missed on one little detail. Being in the left lane, going 55, and having your blinker on perpetually. <laughs> Here, here's my first question of gosh I've got a million for you Carter but the the yeah. one that I want to ask you out of the shoot is why was this a swing and a miss with Jimbo you mentioned what this deep into his tenure what the problems were why was that not apparent when he hired why was this not the fit that it could have been or should have been yeah, I think at the at the time when he took the A&M job, there were a lot of reasons to be optimistic with, hey, I mean, won the national championship in 2013. He was a 10-win machine, a recruiting machine. Um, and a, a big part of the reason why he left Florida State was because he had a lot of things going on in his personal life, and he clashed a lot with administrators there. He kind of needed a restart. And I felt like the first three years there, uh, he was building towards something that you thought was um, <clears throat> going to be a, a great program. And then you saw it in 2020, them finishing fourth in the country, almost making the playoff that year. Um, but then it just I, – I think there some of these coaches – there's part of them that either burns out or fails to adapt. You see this with Urban Meyer, some of these other legendary coaches where they just fail to adapt or they make a lot of wrong decisions. For Jimbo, part of it was making the wrong hires. You know, after Mike Elko left, he hired DJ Durkin, which was a pretty questionable hire. Um, he uh, hired Steve Adazio as his offensive line coach and retained him after last season. Sorry, I and, snickered. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Steve Adazio was a uh, pretty questionable hire, and, and he retained him, and, and the offensive line's been a mess. So he's been pretty loyal to some of his assistants that have not just been very good at all. Um, and then I think the whole quarterback thing was an issue. I mean, he, he just – time and time again, kept striking out on guys. And you could kind of make the argument that, hey, he kind of struck gold with Jameis Winston. And then, you know, it kind of fell back down to earth. Uh, you saw it with Dabo Sweeney when he had these awesome, awesome quarterbacks. They were really great. And then when they didn't have one, uh, they kind of regressed to the mean, I guess. Um, and then Dabo, you know, failed to adapt too. But, you know, Jimbo didn't use the transfer portal. Um, at least not effectively until this past off <laughs> The season. outgoing transfer portal, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he used the outgoing transfer portal. The incoming, I think they lost 26 players in the portal and they only replaced them with 10. And only two of them have been impactful. Um, 
there really has not been – they basically got a bunch of third-teamers uh, from the portal. They, they just weren't interested in it. They weren't interested in meeting the 85 scholarship limit. Just a lot of archaic stuff that just showed me that he wasn't willing to adapt. And the further you get in the NIL era, the further you get in the transfer portal era, the more those things become apparent. Go ahead, Eric. Can I can I ask you two questions, kind of from a Notre Dame standpoint, since that's our audience here? One is, how much talent do you expect to be on the roster? What's the caliber of talent? If you're putting it a number from 1 to 25 in the country or not in the top 25, and I know we don't know everybody who's going to be leaving, where would you put that relative to Notre Dame opening there next year? Like, where do you think A&M's at right now? or where do you you, think What you would anticipate over? with the normal amount of attrition. Right. Well, current. I'll answer currently, and then I'll answer that. Okay. So currently they're on our 247 Sports Team Talent Composite. They're fourth in the country. Wow. Um, I think that's pretty overrated in a sense. And, and part of it, too, um, they have lost both of their top two quarterbacks for the second straight year should have mentioned that too. They can't under Fisher. They never could keep their quarterback healthy, which was a sign of having a bad offensive line. They've lost five. If you want to count Max Johnson this year, five starting quarterbacks to season ending injuries in the last three years. Okay. So, Um, so number four, you think it's too high and what do you think it'll be next year when Notre Dame opens there? My long winded way of saying, I don't think they're really fourth right now. They're probably seventh or sixth. Wow. And next year, that's still pretty high. And next yeah. year, I still think they'll be top ten. Um, now, it really does depend who they hire as their head coach. And I know they're in the process of really focusing on their roster retainment right now. They're having NIL meetings. They're having these conversations right now as we speak. So it's a big focus for them right now, but I think it will probably be top 10 by the time they uh, play next year. Okay, and my follow-up is this, and then Darren, I'm going to let Darren take over because I'm being a question hawk. So Notre Dame is going to go fishing for another portal quarterback. If you are Texas's A&M's new, def- new coaching staff, new defensive coordinator, just somebody that knows the program well, as you do, would you rather see Michael Pratt trotting onto the field as a defensive coordinator, or would you rather see Steve Angeli or Kenny Minchie face your defensive talent? Uh, you know, that's a hard question to answer without uh, seeing those guys up close. But uh, I don't know. It To me, just an outsider perspective, it seems like Notre Dame – I mean, I know it's a, it's a year difference, but they didn't have a ton of confidence in their quarterbacks beyond Hartman this year. So you probably the Angelis of the world is probably what you'd rather face just because there's kind of a mystery there and they haven't really proven themselves to be all that great. So that's probably what I'd say. Um, proven transfer, like I, I just, you know, you don't want them to get another Hartman and uh, – I don't know. I mean, wouldn't you guys say Notre Dame will probably be in the market for another transfer quarterback this they year? They are. Or? They're definitely yes. committed to that. 
But but there's so, a lot of debate about, amongst the fan base of well, shouldn't they get to the point where they're developing their own quarterbacks? I think you can do both. Year. Yeah. But I think when they start getting a cycle of not taking a transfer, it'll be 2025. Yeah, Notre Dame, I mean, they kind of had some misses the last few cycles. I mean, Drew Pine, not very good. Tyler Buckner didn't ever show the potential. Uh, Brendan Clark didn't end up being any good. So you had like three straight misses. Uh, Phil Dracovic, that's another one. I mean, it's pretty bad when you think about it under Tommy Reese, the quarterbacks yeah. they recruited. How did J.J. McCarthy so, turn out, by the way? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I remember – this is actually a funny story. When uh, I was covering Notre Dame for you guys, um, I got a DM from J.J. McCarthy. Uh, I probably shouldn't share this, but he was oh, basically – Oh, please. Come on. Oh, you got to say it now. He's like, oh, if Notre Dame offered me, I would run to South Bend right now and accept the offer and commit. And I was like, whoa. And so I was kind of keeping an eye on that. And then, you know, they ended up choosing Buckner over him. Ah. So, yeah, that. sorry, sorry, Notre Dame fans. Just I've, I've heard heart something there. along those lines before. So you just validated but it. never this clear. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, he had posters of Notre Dame on his doggone wall. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he Thanks. probably would not admit that. He'd probably say, oh, that never happened. I know he, he kind of is that, like, guy who's like, yeah, like, I hate Notre Dame. I hate Ohio State. I've always been that way. I, I hate I, wasps. I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, there we go. There's the quote of the day. Carter Carls used to cover the hours for the South Bend Tribune. Now, Gigum 247 Sports covering Texas A&M. So, let me ask this, Carter, about, again, Fisher getting booted by Texas A&M. Steve Sarkeesian at Texas has gone from 5-7 and seven to 8-5 and five to 9-1, and one, including winning at Alabama this year. Does the rise of Texas have anything to do with the quick trigger on Fisher? Yes, 100%. Um, anyone in the A&M circle, the A&M sphere, you know, they may not admit it, but they are very focused on what what Texas is doing and they regret that, you know, they built all this momentum with Johnny Manziel and, and getting in the prominence of, of the sec. And then they kind of blew it. They didn't take advantage. They had it. You they, they thought they had it again in 2020. It didn't work out. They thought they had it again with the 2022 class. It didn't work out. And all that time, Texas just kind of fired coach after coach and now they've figured it out right before they get to the SEC. It's just like, wow, what terrible timing there. Um, and now it's looking like Quinn Ewers may come back uh, for another season. So um, it, it's unfortunate. But for A&M, the interesting thing is their schedule next year could not be set up for them more perfect. Uh, they avoid Bama and Georgia. They're kind of doing this new uh, SEC model now that Texas and OU are joining the conference, but they're not going to start it until the 2025 season. So they're kind of doing this like temporary one-time schedule uh, to preserve some of the rivalries and just kind of And preserve the, the FCS week, right? Yeah, yeah and <laughs> preserve that too. Um, and so – they avoid Bama and Georgia, which is obviously huge. Uh, 
And then their three biggest games, in my opinion, are all at home. Notre Dame, Texas, and LSU. And then you have the 12-team playoff. So, you know, even if you lose two of those three games and you win the rest, 10-2 and two SEC, you're probably in the 12-team playoff. Um, so there, there's some optimism of, man, if they can just <laughs> They might the pick roster. Iowa ahead of them, but go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, I think that's the thing with the whole Texas thing. Is they, they know how big this first game is with it being in Kyle Field, being the first game back in 12 years, uh, 13 years actually, and then obviously the playoff implications with it. So, yeah, they're, they're very focused on it. They won't admit it, but they, they definitely are. What do you know, Eric? They play LSU. I'm in favor of uh, execution. Maybe, maybe our At entire end, team needs to be executed after tonight. For me, so I okay, I've got one day. more. All right, then I'll let Eric wrap it up. Mm-hmm. So, Carter, here's my question. Notre Dame, Texas A&M, game one next year. Is Mike Elko running out of the tunnel for A&M? <laughs> oh, man, you're going to get me in trouble. It's too early for predictions, but I have heard he is a top candidate. But what is surprising is there's not sort of this perception of, oh, he's a home run hire. And that, I mean, I, I know he hasn't, he hasn't quite been, like he's been very impressive at Duke, but he hasn't been like, oh, my gosh, he's going to be a top five, top ten coach. And I think A&M is in such a crisis mode replacing Jimbo that they think, at least the perception is, if you're going to spend all this money – and, and put yourself in this major, major hole, you better be doing it for somebody that is a definite upgrade. And I think with Elko, they think, is he 100% an upgrade? Is he going to recruit as well? Is he going to, you know, have all these things? And so that's the tricky part with him. But, yeah, he's definitely a top guy, but he's not like the runaway favorite, I wouldn't say. Eric, can you imagine Carter Carl's asking questions at a press conference or doing a one-on-one with Texas A&M head coach Deion Sanders. Can you imagine the bling in the room for that conversation? There's no way the boosters and Deion would get along at Texas A&M. <laughs> yeah, it ain't, it ain't happening. No, no Deion's going to no. be – that ain't happening. <laughs> so uh, before I ask my question, I will say this. I can see why – there's hesitancy with Elko. I love Mike Elko as a head coach. I think his offensive coordinator hire would be incredibly uh, critical yeah. there um, because they need somebody with an offensive mindset, and yeah. Mike's a defensive yeah. coach. Mm-hmm. And so the, the fit isn't as good as you would like. Here's my question to you. So – Gosh, um, back in December of 2021, Matt Freeman and Tyler James get a text from you from a Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Louisiana restaurant, and Brian Kelly is sitting two tables over from you. And you guys ended up having a pretty in-depth conversation. You tweeted part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But my question is, and I know that you want to keep a lot of that between us. And the family. And the family, okay? Uh, but, <laughs> but based on that conversation that you had with Brian Kelly that night, have things played out at LSU as you would have, have thought based on that conversation, which was a pretty lengthy one? 
Yeah, my whole take on the Brian Kelly to LSU thing was I think Brian Kelly is really good at winning 10 games, but I don't know if he's good at taking you much farther than that. He can take you to the playoffs every now and then, uh, maybe to the SEC championship game every now and then, but don't, I don't know if he's ever going to win the big one. I, I wouldn't count on it. Now at LSU, let's remember – they had two doofuses as head coach and Ed Orgeron and, and Les Miles, and they won a natty with them. And Brian Kelly's a way more competent coach. But the question about, you know, is he going to be like, is he as good as a recruiter as Ed O? No. And is he going to give all that effort to do that? You know, I don't know. Um, I thought he was very impressive his first year. He very much exceeded my expectations. But this year it's been like, man, wow, he, he may have the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback um and they're an eight and four team their defense is horrendous and i think that's what kind of surprised me their utilization of harold perkins has been really weird um so i i think he may have to make a change at d coordinator or or some major changes on defense before he can talk about winning the sec again and uh yeah from that conversation i mean I got the sense that he was tired of, you know, going going and battling Notre Dame about every little thing and, and having to beg for pennies. And I think he just wanted a fresh start and wanted to be at a place where he could be uh, supported and every answer would be met with an immediate yes. Yeah. Um, now there's probably other things that were at play there. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I know every detail on that, but – um, I think he was kind of tired of that whole thing. And, uh, and yeah, I think he's, he seems to be more happy at LSU. Um, but the longer he's in there, the more they're going to be demanding of, Hey, <laughs> you eight and four seems eight and four seasons. This ain't, this ain't going to cut it. So, um, we'll see as it progresses, but I, I don't see him winning the big one. I, I just, I just don't. If they're in the ReliaQuest Bowl against Notre Dame and I'm at the press conference, <laughs> would you pay to get into that? Yes. Uh, I would, too. If you, only if you ask uh, about our our conversation and our dinner. Just say, hey, man, what, you missed Carter? I, I, I'm, would... You know that there is nowhere I wouldn't go, including asking him about Columbia Jackets. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I saw him at SEC Media Days, and I almost went up and uh, and like called you and said, "Hey, Brian, look!" But he had like a whole entourage around him, so I thought eh, that'd probably be a little weird. Uh, so didn't do that. But next SEC Media Days, expect a call. <laughs> and you're gonna put him on the phone with me? Yeah, I'll just do it. I'll just put you on speaker. I'll totally blindside them. I'll blindside you, uh, and we'll make it'll be like a prank call. But both people are being pranked. I would love it. Oh my gosh! Well, I might better go to the Seven Eleven now and, and get me a, a, a Monster or a Red Bull. And... <laughs> go Tigers! There you go. That's how we go wrap ahead. it up. That's how we wrap it up. Well, Carter, I guess we'll get to bug you this summer in preparation for Notre Dame, Texas A&M. So we'll might maybe just have to do this all over and again. And he'll be married by he'll then. He'll be married. And you yeah. know what? 
I don't know if he can top the J.J. McCarthy bomb he just laid on us, but you know what? <laughs> you never know next summer what might happen. You know, when they say, speak up now or forever hold your peace at the ceremony, J.J. McCarthy's going to say, I've got a problem here. <laughs> I'm so happy to the state of Louisiana. <laughs> Well, Carter, get some sleep. I know when a coaching search is going on, you got a lot of stuff going on. But we really appreciate you joining us. And always great to talk to you. All the best to you and your future bride and your family. And we will talk to you again soon. Hey, next August. Can't wait. Y'all better both be coming down here and we'll have a, a big Fandango. So I'm looking forward to it. A big Fandango. Once we figure out what that is, we'll be excited about it. (laughs) Fandango? I I think I pronounced it wrong. You know what I'm saying. Okay. (laughs) Okay. This is a pound of rock, man. We're going to keep on coming. (laughs) All right. Carter, be well. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you all. See you. That is Carter Carls, formerly of the South Bend Tribune, and, of course, now working for Gigum 247 down in College Station. I mean, a Fandango. How can we pass that yeah, up? I'm, yeah, I'm glad we went to Mike Anderson's ate crawfish that night. <laughs> All right. I am so late for a break. I am I am in deep trouble the last hour when you're not here, Eric. All right. We got to take a break. Can you stay for the Twitter question? Sure. Do you mind? All right. We'll do that coming up next. A J.J. McCarthy bomb from Carl's. I love it. I'm here for it on WSBT South Bend. Here's another... This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We're coming. We're coming. I guess Dion didn't make that famous after all, did he? Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsightIndieSports.com. I'm Darren Pritchett. Let's get to our Twitter question of the day results from Tuesday. And this was the question that we asked. Which of these four choices do you believe would help the Notre Dame offense the most? I could have offered like 10 different answers. I tried to narrow it down. I caught grief from some people saying I left off an obvious one that Hartman needs to be better. But this is kind of my thing that I don't think this is all Sam's issue, that things around him are leading to Sam being bad. So... I'm not going to put Sam on the list because I don't believe it's one of the top four. Okay. So that's my I think speech. that's a good thing. Once I retweet you, you're into my world, and you're going to get more oh, I know. people with those. <laughs> they can keep those Hartman takes. I'm not. Yeah, you're going to get that. I love to read things like that because people can change my mind, but no one's going to change my mind that they're going to blame Sam for this. All right. So here are the results. Better offensive line play came in last at 2.2%. A lot of questions about this week's offensive line that could be Alt, Coogan, Craig, Shrouth, Fisher. Yep. Okay. Third in the voting, 10.8%. Rely more on Audric Estime. Okay. That kind of goes back to using other running backs and also not using him in the second half against Clemson. Mm-hmm. Okay, second in the voting. More of a play-action pass game from Notre Dame. Got 24.9%. That might be recency bias. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they did it against Pittsburgh. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, 
this magical defense. No one's ever seen man-to-man happens, and you can't do it. I- including some young defensive backs oh filling God. in. For I don't, don't get I'm all happy after talking to Carter. I don't want to go back into sad land. Okay. Let's forget it. But winning the vote was improved wide receiver execution at 42.3%. How would you have voted? I would have. I actually did vote. Okay. I voted for the answer that got 2.2%. Better offensive line play. And why I say that is if you get better offensive line play, the other things on that list are going to improve. So I think start there, and then the other things will be a byproduct of that. For all the Sam bashers, take a look at the pressure coming at his feet throughout the game, where the pressure was coming from a lot, up the middle, before the injuries took place. Right. right. Before the injuries took place. Did a very good job in pass pro. Yeah, pro football focus had him as the best offensive lineman. (laughs) In his 21 snaps. (laughs) In his 21 snaps. Hey, good for him. Yeah. It's awesome. Okay, today's question. I think I can say we all agree that when an offense is struggling, normally there are many places you can point a finger. With the Notre Dame offense being inconsistent, what do you believe is a majority of the problem? Eric, I just posted this. I don't think you've maybe seen it on Twitter. I know you've Mm -hmm. been kind enough to repost, but I just posted it within the last 45 minutes. So what do you believe is a majority of the problem? Here are the four choices. Again, nothing about Sam. Number one is what you've heard over and over. It's player execution. Number two, game planning. Number three, play calling. Number four, in-game adjustments. No, there is not a five, all of the above. Appropriate, but no. So what is a majority of the problem with the Irish offense? Player execution, game planning, play calling, or in-game adjustments. Is that a fair list? Yeah. Okay. Would you like to chime in? D, in-game adjustments. Which appeared to be pretty good against North Carolina State, but it's not been going as smoothly since. Well, again, it's kind of like the guy that comes up from AAA and is hitting the snot out of the ball, and then he gets a slider that he can't handle, and then it's... And then he sees slider after slider after slider until he can handle it. Until he makes an adjustment. Right. And if he never makes an adjustment? Back to the minors. And eventually, he'll be owning maybe a fast food place just like Carter Carl's. (laughs) Carter doesn't own one yet for people that don't know. We're just projecting that Carter would do a good job of it. All right, so we'd love to get your vote on this. What is the biggest issue with the Irish offense? Player execution, game planning, play calling, in-game adjustments. Vote right now on my Twitter account at 960SportsBeat. We should rename this the SportsBeat InsideIndieSports.com Twitter question of the day. Okay. Because you've been helping out by retweeting it. So, unless you don't like my question, then I won't put your name on it. I like your questions. (laughs) All right. With that being said, let's find out what is happening right now at Eric's. Can I call it a publication online? Yeah, sure. Is that okay? Because yeah. publication kind of sounds online like... Online publication. Online publication at InsideIndieSports.com. Well, I have my live chat today. Lots of lively questions. I tried my best to come up with answers, and so the transcript is up. Uh, Tyler James did a really good 
um, story about Xavier Watts being a finalist for the Nagurski Trophy Award, one of the best defensive players in the country, That down to five finalists. He did a um, story also on the pro football focus grades, what that's looked like with the offensive players. We had transcripts from both coordinators last night and uh, Joe Alt being a Lombardi about that trophy finalist. And, of course, Darren, there's always much, much more. Maybe even uh, Carter Carl singing. Oh, my gosh. I am so happy for the state of Louisiana. <laughs> Can you imagine a press conference with Brian Kelly and me? I don't. It would either go really well or really bad. Oh, I think it would go extremely I, well. I, I think you guys would be right back to your bit. I, I, I would come in about five seconds late on purpose. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I've already got it planned. I had a former Notre Dame offensive player that I texted earlier about Jared Parker's comments about not going with play action against man. And the response I got back is, even more so if it's man, you could create more open spaces. Okay. I think I know who the player was. And I would value his opinion. That's why I asked him. I haven't been this bum-fuzzled <laughs> since hearing some Tyrone Willingham coaches' comments and uh, – Wow. It's been a while. That Those comments last night have absolutely knocked me on the floor. Okay. And it's led your message board to blow up. <laughs> All right, you got to get out of here. I'm sorry. It's running really late here at 612. It's past your dinner time. It's going to be your bedtime soon, so... I apologize. No, you're up all night. What am I talking about? You're always writing. He's like the king of writing and researching. And that's why you're good. Well, that's why you. you're a Hall of Famer. I appreciate that. That is why you are a Hall of Famer. All Go right. Tigers! All right. I got a lot of commercials to play in the last 48 minutes of the program, but I'll have some content as well. Eric, thank you. Check him out at InsideIndieSports.com, 612 at WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 